Hello, I'm Aidan Gallagher. I'm Peter Reeves. Welcome to API, our integration podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to set the world to rights on various topics in the world of enterprise integration, and it scratches our collective itches as engineers who just want to uh, rant about enterprise IT over a cup of coffee. Or tea. Hello, Aidan. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you? I'm not too bad. How was your run? Oh no! Are we, are we talking about this? Yeah, we're my talking. Run, my, I don't. I don't think my run was. Uh, I don't think my run was fantastic. But you did it. Was that your first half marathon? No, it was my. This is my second half marathon. Second, same half marathon twice. Yeah, yeah. So I did it. I did this run once about I think eight or nine years ago, and I did it just last. Just about what was it? Six days ago now. I've actually become. I think for every year that I've lived, I've become a minute slower at a half marathon. Should we go back to podcast? Yeah, what are we going to be talking about today, Peter? We're going to talk about test-driven development. And what is test-driven development? So there is the, I don't want to say empirical version of test-driven development, uh, which is what you would get from the, the book that we were basing our discussion on. And there is the practical version of test-driven development, which is what we've experienced from working on projects I think we should talk about the book version first. Go on then. Who wrote the book, Peter? You answer the book questions. I answer the experience ah, questions. Of course. Um, okay, so the book's by Kent Beck. Have you read the book, Peter? No, I wait for you to read the book and then you tell me, then you give me the, the synopsis. Good. So Kent Beck wrote a book called Test Driven Development by Examples, which is where my understanding comes from. Uh, and basically in the book he talks about how to practice test-driven development, why it's important, and the benefits that brings. He takes you through some examples um, of what that looks like. At the same time, describes the six core parts. First part, you add a test. Uh, then you run all the tests and see if the new test fails, which it probably will. You then write the code that makes the test pass. You run the test. After you've finished writing several tests, you refactor the code to reduce duplication, uh, and then you repeat until you have all the tests that you need. And that, that's where I say that could be. You could compress that into three steps, couldn't you? From from my, from the, my research that I've done, I've seen it um, boiled down to red green refactor being that the first step you write your tests and your tests are it's red because you just you just add a new test in that fails. Then next stage is green. You make your tests pass with a minimal effort, but you get to a stage where all your tests are passing. And then your third stage is refactor, which is basically you clean up anything that you would needed to do in order to get tests passing. So whether you're looking at the empirical version or the practical version, um, both are saying that before you write any code, you need to do some tests. Yeah. You need to write your tests. Then you write some code, but the tests should always come first. That's essentially what, what test-driven development, isn't it? Yeah. What are the benefits, though? Right, so what, what, what is it saying are the benefits of writing tests first rather than writing something and then writing tests to prove that what you've been working on is, is correct or by working on tests and dev at the same time so that you can build it up as you go, which is what I've kind of tended to do in the past. I've often thought, OK, I'm pl- I plan out what I'm going to write... I start to write it, and as I go, as I finish a little bit, I'll just put a little, just a little test in to make sure that works. I think, okay, yeah, that's fine. 
So one of the key things is that often people write code and there are no tests at the end of it, or there isn't there isn't time to write tests, so it's basic tests, and then you end up with lots of defects come in at the end of the code once it's gone out into production. Maybe because of budget, maybe because of cost, maybe because of experience. For whatever reason, the tests haven't been written or adequately enough. But essentially, there's loads of extra bugs. The idea of test-driven development is that you find all your requirements early, you write the tests that fit those requirements, and then you should, in theory, find all the bugs whilst you're writing your code and not once you're in production. That's the dream. Going on to talking, saying, make sure you've got your requirements down pat. Um, yeah, I think that's the key thing because test-driven development forces you to plan out ahead of time exactly what you're going to meet requirements-wise yeah. because I can think of projects where people have kind of been so eager to start with, there's been so much pressure to just kind of be seen to get going and get moving that quite often by the end, by the first release, we'll have something that's pretty close, but just a little bit off the mark. And sometimes it's showing something that works, isn't it? Rather than something that works to what we're trying to create. That's the difference. Yeah. That's sort of organi organisational issues that TDD is helping to address. Go on then. To be devil's advocate, why, why would you not do test-driven development? Do people say it's slower? I'm not sure. Is that a double-edged sword, forcing you to uh, know all the requirements ahead of time? Sometimes people can start working on core bits, so they can work on the sections that they know. Refine later. Um, address things when they get to it, cross bridges when they come to it. Really, that can be done with TDD. It's just a case that you bring the bits that you understand fully into your sprint or into your current scope. And then if the stuff that you don't currently understand, you say, oh, that feature's going to come later down the line. So there's ways to alleviate it, I think. It prevents you from actively kicking too much stuff down the road. Well, the other argument against is that you can write too many tests. Um, and obviously there's a cost to writing tests. You have to have somebody sit there, write it. You have to maintain them. You have to, um, if the requirements change for whatever reason, which they often do, if you've written the tests, you've either got to update them or you've got to delete mm -hmm. them. You've got to keep them passing, evidently. But the idea is that Actually, you might spend too much time, too much cost, building these tests that you end up deleting or removing, rather than actually physically building something that is going to give positive benefits to the end user. I know that people that are very detail-oriented, I like to think myself included, can get really kind of bogged down in building little piddly, like in multiple tests for every function and stuff. And I mean... I, I love the idea of, of in, in my own little world, everything's everything passes and everything's like every line has got we've got total code coverage and everything. But that's not always um, that's not always feasible. And that's not always completely necessary in in big kind of uh, team projects. If only there was some kind of uh, concept of how many how many unit tests and then how many component tests and how many integration tests. You, you would write, if, if only that was summarised with like a, a classic shape or something. Like, oh, like a, no, not a circle, or a, a cake? Oh yeah, the, the, uh, the test cake. <laughs> so obviously we have the test pyramid. Um, yeah. The idea being that the unit tests, uh, the majority of your tests should be unit tests and they should cover lots of little things. Um, then you have your uh, component contract integration test, which 
is software talk to software system to a system that's your second part of the of the pyramid at the top the peak you've got the end-to-end -end testing so much fewer um if things change halfway through a, a project you still have that cost of the test that you've already written um but also who writes the test is it you the developer do you write the tests or do you have a test team writing the test and then the developers write on top of that how do you split that my personal opinion is that the developers write the tests. Developers write their own tests that, that, that are red, that run red, and then they fix them, make them green, and then they refactor their code. So who, I che would, who checks that? Who determines that the developers write in tests that work? That could definitely be a task for a... Uh, that could be a task for a testing team. I mean, if we're going back to, like, philosophical agile land, teams are meant to be, like, accountable to each other, so... So, like, developers should be kind of checking each other's work, reviewing each other's code, blah, blah, blah. But if you were going to give, like, that role to an explicit person in a team, then, yeah, there's benefit to having, like, a test team like a, like, or some testers that sit alongside your developers in, in a team. Or is it that developers and testers are now no longer separate? Are they, are they one entity? I would, I've always seen teams with both developers and testers in work well, and I think teams that don't have testers where there is the expectation and the culture and the accountability to each other that the developers also manage the testing to work well as well. When you have test-driven development, the tests are happening live, they're in play. So if you were to then pass these tests and the, and the code onto a test team, what would they do? They'd run the, the unit tests and they'd say, yeah, it's running as you said it would. No, so I... I right, OK. If we were thinking passing to a test team, as in a development team passes to a test team, which then gets passed up to a higher environment, which then gets passed up to yeah. a pre-prod, to a pre-prod, to a prod. I would expect that test team, that QA team, to, well, yeah, be rerunning the tests that someone, the unit tests from development. I would also expect them to have been producing their own tests, their own tests which they've been, um, which they have independently done based off any kind of specs. For the, for the system. Yeah, they, they would produce either component tests or black box tests. I wouldn't expect a test team to be doing individual unit, like tests to the level of a unit test. So they'd have the upper 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 ends of that pyramid. Yeah, they would have the, they'd have the middle layer or they'd probably have the middle and the top layer. They'd have the, they, they might do a bit of component testing, but they'd definitely be interested in end-to-end -end testing. The other argument against TDD is that it's uh, slow takes a very long time because you're making little tiny changes at a time. Uh, Kent talks about this in his book. He, he actually says the idea is that you make a small change, you test it. You make a small change, you test it. Um, and that's that's true even when you're writing the code. Even if you know the full function, write a little bit, test it. Write a, make, make the smallest possible function you can and then make it slowly bigger until it passes. So you're writing the minimum amount of code. And that can obviously be quite uh, laborious and slow. But what he says is that actually test-driven development isn't about being slow. It's not about going, oh, I'm going to take teeny-weeny, tiny little baby steps. It's about being able to make those steps one at a time. And if you find that you're writing the full function straight away, thinking you know how it would look, and the tests are failing, you can actually backtrack and go, actually, I don't know this as well as I thought I did. I'm going to take the small block steps one by one. Maybe it does make you go a little bit slower, but it makes you a lot more solid. You have a much better foundation. You're aware of the fact that 
if you if you skip if you push testing to one side and if you push things like I don't know like deployments and all the tricky handover stuff to one side, teams can go very fast, slightly corner cutty, but they can only go so fast for so long before they start hitting issues. Yeah, developing tech debt that they're going to have to start burning back down through. Go on then. So are you using test driven development in any of your projects at the minute? Um, no. Actually, not intentionally, no. Uh, the, the work I'm doing at the moment is I'm, I'm looking at some kind of some, 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 some older, some older codes, some older projects, which has been, uh, which is kind of getting brought back up to scratch. And so as part of that, uh, I'm digging out like old test suites that haven't been looked at for a while. So I've kind of, so I'm definitely at the red stage and now I, now it's a case of me making them, making it green and then doing the refactor. That was really interesting actually, because, um, the, the impression I got from the book is that actually you should be doing test driven development straight from the start. And if you're not doing it from the start well, you might as well can it. There's no point doing test driven development on existing code. But I personally think that you can introduce TDD into existing code if there are no existing tests. So if you can automate existing tests, you are sort of creating that test driven development. But if when you when you take existing tests and make them automated, what you can do is go over them, make sure the requirements are correct, make sure that the requirements are good, um, and then obviously run your code again once once the required the tests are you're sure the tests are fulfilling the requirements. In that stage, you've then got your tests ready so that any updates you want to make to the code, you can make you can implement test driven development quite easily. Someone was criticising um, the way that we teach programming and sort of coding in schools. And, and it's always like the first thing you do is you start a new project and then you start building your project and you build it up greater and greater. But the way it works is very, very rarely do you ever actually work in completely greenfield. The major- majority of programming, the majority of coding is working on existing code bases. So you very rarely get to start anything from scratch. You're, you're, you're coming in and making improvements on something that's already there. And then also just how quickly things become legacy. And when I say legacy, I'm using the definition of legacy, which is legacy code is code without tests. And, and that can happen so quickly that, that we kind of tech tech builds up. And there's always a, and so I think that introducing, I, I, I would say there's no reason to ever not introduce TDD into, into, your, into your own workflow, into, into your ex- workflow. Into, or into your existing workflow, yeah. Yeah. So I, I originally built a um, project on, put on no uh, NPM and I did no tests whatsoever because I was just excited to get it out. I was like, yeah, let's do this. You, you say that, the flip side of that, the last NPM thing I wrote, I've, been, I've really enjoyed doing the tests. I've got great test coverage and I've not finished it. <laughs> and it's been going on in the background for ages. So you've got your unit test but no, no code? Yeah, I'm, I've got the unit test but I've not got, I've not got anything that's shippable. So it just goes to show the flip-flop between uh, uh, slow TDD and uh, <laughs> somewhere fast be- cutting corners. Somewhere corners. between us is the perfect yeah. project waiting to happen. <laughs> but yeah, basically I'd, I'd said, oh, actually I've got to make a lot of changes to this. I was, I was just looking at clean code and I thought, actually I'm going to implement clean code. And I thought, actually I've got no tests because obviously tests are quite important in clean code as well. So I, And I just finished reading TDD. So I was like, oh, do you know what? I am going to do this. I'm going to put test-driven development. I'm going to do it with test-driven development. But it's not adding the tests in. 
It took ages. Like, I, I've only done maybe three out. I've probably done 50%. Um, and it's only the things that I've changed that I've implemented test-driven development in. I've not just gone and put it into stuff I've not changed. And I think what I'm going to do in the future, if anything breaks, I'm going to take test-driven development, write the test, and then slowly build up from that. So I don't think you have to do one, fully one or the other. But if you've, if you've got something with no tests, I think you can quite easily start building those tests around it when, as you start updating the functionality, updating the code. So that's the good time to do it. Otherwise, you're making work out of a project that currently seems to be working. So what's the point, yeah. I suppose? One thing that I think works quite nicely is as, as, you, as you resolve issues or defects, that you kind of add a test in for that. And that's kind of a good way to sort of spot cleanup. As you go in, or as you're going through, if you've got like a big code base which doesn't have good coverage, I'm start adding new functionality. I put the new tests in, and I say, actually, I've mm. got a test for this now, and I'm going to update it. So the bits have you can, if you went onto it now, you'd see that half of it is clean, clean code, mm-hmm. um, with tests, and the rest isn't. <laughs> there are no tests, and it's not clean, um, and my coverage is quite low. So it's probably about 100% on the 50% total but 100% on the ones that I've cleaned, or 90, 90 to 100. What's the right amount of coverage for any, any uh, 100%. file? 100%. 100%. <laughs> no, realistically, I say I would go back, I think it should go back to the, uh, uh, to, to, to the testing pyramid. I'd expect, I'd expect good coverage from end-to-end tests. So as in, all of your end-to-end tests should cover your kind of functionality to your end customer. And provided that all that functionality is covered, all of the tests beneath it, the component tests and the unit tests, are there to um, sort of facilitate the work of, of, of developers and testers underneath that. So the test coverage is almost flipped. It should touch 100% of everything you need it to at the end-to-end, and the rest is all just facilitating that, that communication. Yeah, end, end-to-end is touching everything functionally. So if you're working on a logistics company, some sort of logistics application, you, you're, you're, it might be that you only offer, I don't know, aeroplane shipping or something. So you might say that you're, the only end-to-end tests that you've got are that, that a customer can place an order, they can review an order, and they can they cancel order. an order. Yeah. That is all of the functionality that you offer. That that's it. Of course, under the covers, there'll be twenty bazillion component tests because to, to it needs to communicate with needs, it needs to communicate with other systems and stuff. Yeah, like that. it needs a CMS. It needs a database, and then lower than that, there's all the custom bits for their own own way. All the information they need for orders. Blah 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 blah. But how it yeah. does that for the consumer is sort of irrelevant, isn't it? As long as it works for the consumer, yeah. who who cares? As long as it does what it needs to do. I think what we really need to talk about is how do you implement test-driven development in more trickier flows? So, for example, the hardest one I could think of was a chatbot. If I want to do implement test-driven development on a chatbot, it's quite difficult because I could say infinite number of things um, which need to get matched by the chatbot, and that could potentially go on multiple different flows. How do you, hmm. how do you test that you have reached the right flow? For example, what do we do when tests are getting complicated? I suppose you're going to have to, to a certain extent, for for a chatbot, you're either you're going to have to use mocks or use stubs, and I would say 
you're going to have to you're going to have to sort of limit the the, the back end that your chatbot is using. So if, if say your chatbot is and they're talking about oh, I'm not not still doing air freight, talking about football for example, I would say that for your test scenarios you only give it the knowledge of maybe one team and then you can and then you can kind of have some tests where you just run through information about that team. So whereas in production it might be able to talk about all of the all of the teams and all the players in in, in, in the Premier League and the lower leagues. I would say that if you just if you use especially you're going to have to put some effort in building your test harness. If you put together the kind of mock data and the stub data that you need, I suppose that's how I'd approach it. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not really sure what the correct answer is in that scenario. What would you so do? Make, so making sure. So I think. I think I agree with you. I think I'd use mocks, and that was the way it was put to me before. Um, so when I asked about this to various other people, it was like, yeah, actually, you should be using um, you should be using mocks to do this. You should be making sure that um, there is a at least in your test environment that there's a definitive response com- that you expect to come back, and then you can test the functionality within so that the logic is correct. You need to be able to mock that that is coming back, and you, that mock might be that you get a certain response. Or given a certain input, you get a response back. But essentially, it's going to be using mocks, which I think is is um, super important. Mm-hmm. So, if we were to summarise what we've discussed today, Peter, test-driven development, how would you summarise our our conversation today? It's good. You should do it. You should do it, especially if you're in a uh, if you're working on maybe a fragile code base that doesn't have great test coverage to begin with, or that it, or that you may be sceptical of. Um, or projects with lots of defects. You might not want to do it if you're under tons and tons of time pressure and if you're feeling lucky that it's a lot simpler than you might think. It's simply the case of write write a test, test, test fails, fix it, address the test in the least amount of code that's needed to do it, and then refactor it, then clean up everything that you did and make it all work nicely. Yeah. Add a test, run all the tests so that you can see the new failure, write the code, run the test, refactor the code, repeat. Six. Or in an easy bite size uh, saying, what would you say, Peter? I'd say, I'd say red green refactor. Perfect. Lovely. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Bye bye. Goodbye. <laughs>